Hello and welcome to KPMG's Advice Worth Keeping podcast series, where we hear from firm professionals, third-party thought leaders, and other luminaries on the important trends, topics, and leading practices. Our focus the last few podcasts has been on data privacy and specifically the impact of the California Consumer Privacy Act. I'm Steve Stein, partner and co-lead of KPMG's IG and Privacy Practice. Joining me today are Jim Lai and Nick Schmidt from our U.S. practice. How are you guys? What's going on in your world, Jim? Well, Steve, it's all about the clients. We're engaged in a number of projects to design and roll out privacy programs that are going to help them address these CCPA risk issues going forward. It's been incredibly busy, Steve. It's crunch time. As we stand today on October 17th, we have two and a half months until CCPA becomes effective. So we are heavily booked. Everything's been really busy, and a lot of the lion's share of our work right now has been data subject request fulfillment. Right. And so it's October 17th, as you say. A week ago, California, the AG's office, released the long-awaited implementing regulations for CCPA. Very interested in your thoughts in terms of, you know, does this clear things up? Does it create ambiguity? Does it create some disruption? And before we go into the individual topics and the individual regulations, Perhaps, Nick, you could talk a little bit about the process and procedure around these implementing regulations. Yeah, the draft regulations came out on Friday. I would emphasize that these are not final yet. They're expected to become final sometime in late December. But right now they've been opened, as is common in many administrative and regulatory agencies. They have to open them for a public notice and comment. So they've been published pursuant to that, and there will be some meetings in December where they'll talk about it more. But I don't expect any really large changes. So if the meetings are in December, and if companies and consumers are being asked for their comment, what could really happen if the effective date is January 1st? Fortunately, enforcement is going to be delayed about six months. Now, I wouldn't recommend that any of our clients wait six months to become CCPA compliant, but there is some time to steer into the skid, even after CCPA becomes effective. And will the regulations become final post the public comment? And when do we anticipate that to happen? That's our expectation. We're thinking mid-December, right, Jim? That seems about right. That's what the AG has promised, and that's sort of where they're going to be taking public comments in person are going to be. All right. So, Jim, why don't we chat about the five main parts of the implementing regulations? I think we're going to focus mostly on the top three. We have been calling them internal to our firm, the top three, which are notices, Business practices for handling consumer requests, verification of requests is top three. The two others that, if we have time, we could comment a little bit about are special rules regarding minors and non-discrimination. But maybe we touch on each one of the top three in kind. Talk about notices first, Jim. Yeah, okay. The regulations have done a number of things that in some ways clear up what kind of notice you need to provide. In some ways, they add some confusion. And yet, third ways, they create some new obligations out of whole cloth. For example, the regulations have provided some display requirements in terms of where you need to make this information available. If you have a business that works with customers primarily in physical space, so a retail environment, the regulations expect a third publication method in terms of providing physical copy of the notice, perhaps on paper or on a poster. The CCPA itself never really said anything about that. So this is an example of these regulations creating things out of the cloth. 
Well, and I think what you know what strikes me, and, and maybe you have a similar opinion, the implementing regulations reference two types of industry only. Mm-hmm. One are retail big box, and the second is music sharing. That's the only industries that are really used as examples within the various parts of the implementing regulations. So certainly their focus on retailers is real, I suppose. Yeah, it absolutely is. And they've made a number of statements around the other ways that you provide notice to consumers that I think can add some burdens to the way retailers operate both online and in physical space. Another one of these, for example, appears to read in a a just-in-time notification requirement. The regulations have separated the duty to inform from the obligation to publish a privacy notice. And specifically, they say the only time that you can use your privacy notice as your duty to inform or as the way that you're going to comply with those requests to inform is if you treat everyone the same way and you process all the personal information the same way without any variation. Could either of you put that in real world? How would that impact your experience with a variety of companies? Fundamentally, it appears that the Attorney General expects that businesses will provide information to consumers just as part of the back and forth of engaging in transactions that involve the collection and use of personal information, right, Nick? Yeah, that seems to be the reading. And it's going to really change the way that a lot of businesses do things, especially when you are, of course, of dealing with a client. You're going to have to be able to show them this is the data that we have on you fairly consistently. This is what we're taking in. This is why. And you're going to have to be a lot more transparent in terms of that ongoing quid pro quo. Anything else on the notice piece? Another new creation of the regulations appears to be what we in the privacy practice call purpose limitation. In short, if you didn't tell the consumer what you're going to do with that data, you can't do it. These regulations suggest that you need to be comprehensive in your list of business cases or business uses for personal information you collect. And if you want to change that midstream, you then have to go back to all the consumers that you collected from and get their permission to do that. This is part of GDPR, and it's been in Europe for a long time, but it's only now hopped upon to the United States. Anything else on notice or any impact you're seeing, Nick, as it relates to notice development with clients? When it comes to the brick-and-mortar store requirement that you be able to take a paper form at a brick-and-mortar store, we've seen a number of our clients discussing what the form should look like, how should we print it out, where should we make it available. Those decisions seem to be fairly unique to each client based upon what their stores look like and how they're managed. One of the big things that we've seen in common with most is that they want to use that same online form. And what their plan is that they'll just tell their employees to take that written form that they receive into the back room, dial up the corporate website, stick it in the online form. So we've had some discussions with clients on this 4 million California consumer question where if you are collecting information from more than 4 million California residents, there's some additional responsibility notice requirements. What do you all think about that particular requirement? So fundamentally, this regulation is adding more accountability requirements to what businesses do by creating a record-keeping obligation if you process a, let's just say, a large number of records from a large number of consumers. That adds some oversight, that adds some record-keeping requirements. You know, Nick, I think this is going to add a new set of metrics that a privacy program is going to have to keep track of. Certainly, and in some ways it'll be really useful, especially for our profession and for people who follow privacy as an industry to look at the state of privacy and be able to better assess the popularity of especially the state of subject rights. But these regulations also add an enormous deal of ambiguity in that what you have to report isn't directly stated. 
and there's a great deal of disagreement over what do I need to report and even how current does it have to be? Does this have to be a real-time tally or could I update it every six months? Nobody knows. So why don't we move on to practices for handling consumer requests? Obviously, there was a lot of hope within the industry that the AG provide as much guidance as the office could. What are we seeing in that second main category of changes? I think this is one of the places where the regulations do provide some more clarity overall. For example, there's more guidance around what to do when you can't verify someone. And a lot of times that will depend on the type of request that they've submitted. If you can't verify someone's identity for the purpose of getting a copy of your information, the regulations state that you should attempt to treat it as a request for information about the categories of data that are collected instead, so that you're at least giving them something. And then if you look at those requirements, it talks about when you are allowed to simply refer people to the privacy notice. We talked about before, everything is uniform across all consumers. And so that's an area where it's become clear what the expectation is, even if it wasn't necessarily something that most people reading the original statute were, were thinking about. In fact, it took me somewhat by surprise. I and many people had believed that that general request for information would be satisfied just by pointing someone to a compliant privacy policy. But it seems that the Attorney General is contemplating a specific DSR where rather than saying like an access request, your phone number is 12345, Instead, you would just say, we have your phone number and we use it for these purposes. That seems to be a new DSR. And the most interesting piece about this requirement, that if you can't satisfy authentication for access, you still get categories, seems to create a two-tiered system, where if you can authenticate, you get access. If you can't authenticate, you get categories. And then also, interestingly, if you can authenticate, you can delete, you can be forgotten. If you can't authenticate, they still have to pull you out of the sale of their data. That stop sale piece still is required in much the same way. That is one of the areas where these regulations make things more confusing, particularly when we talk about the right to opt out of sale of data. In all of the other cases where we have consumer rights under CCPA, the statute and the regs talk about a verified consumer request. Basically, that means I know who you are, I can prove that you are who you claim to be, and that you are right to do this. Opt out requests don't have to be verified, and there's no further clarification on what that means. The only thing in the regulations is that if you know it's obviously fraudulent, you don't have to opt them out. But my understanding of that would be if somebody files a stop sale request for Big Bird. That's the only example <laughs> I can think of. Right, exactly. And I think that this can make things interesting for loyalty programs or, or any kind of retail consumer engagement program because those are often tied to the sale of data to third parties in order to generate the discounts that the program provides. What are you seeing in terms of how people figure this out? Because if I opt you out of the sale, I've just sort of broken my program. We've seen a couple of a couple of different approaches. A couple of our clients have decided, have made an executive decision that they do not sell data, or they've consulted attorneys, and the attorneys have come back and said, it's our professional opinion that none of your data transfers count as sales. Those clients have been ignoring this piece. They feel like they're fine. A few of the other clients where it's a little bit less clear, they've been erring on the side of caution, and they've said, if we can find your data, so if you give us an email and a phone number when you file this DSR and we can find it going in as part of that sale and we can find your identity enough to pull you out, we'll do it. That's really interesting because the regulations do also give us a little bit more clarity on when you do or do not count as a service provider, which 
if you're not selling data, that's who all your third parties are, right? Yep. What the service provider regs talk about is a general prohibition against allowing a service provider to use data acquired from one customer or one business or anything related to providing services to any other customer, with one exception, which is for uh, like security and fraud prevention. So what that suggests to me is that some of these opinions may need to be revised. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. So can we transition just to the third of the big three about verification of requests? I think we've touched on it a little bit on identity proofing, but anything, Jim, that you see as new and distinctive? Fundamentally, being able to verify who someone is 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 vitally important before you give them any personal information or run any processing on their behalf. So there are a few things in terms of verification that the regulations have done. Again, some of them clarify, some of them obviously. One of the first topics that the regulations have clarified are what you need to do in order to be able to authorize a third party to submit requests on your behalf. This can come up in the context of a household request. So I want to file a request on behalf of me and everyone in my household. It can also come into play when I have an authorized agent, such as a membership organization, who's going to be filing these requests on, on behalf of their members. And so the regulations provide some clarity around this because they say that if I want to file a third-party request, I have to prove that I have the written authorization of everyone that I'm filing a request for, and I need to be able to provide information that the business that verifies who each of those members or each of those household members are. This regulation is really great news for some of our clients that were really nervous about statements by various public advocacy and membership organizations that they were going to file these stop-sale requests on behalf of their entire membership. This regulation in many ways seems to put an end to that, which has made some of our clients very happy. I think one of the things that struck me is the acknowledgement that a company can use a third-party identity verifier Mm -hmm. in this whole process. I think a lot of our clients have sort of looked to the credit reporting agencies and other groups that have large amounts of public information in order to do that verification. Do you see that having a lot of impact? Do we see a lot of clients that are moving to using third-party proofers? I haven't. These regulations seem to make it fairly clear that they prefer that you authenticate with what you already have. They do provide one additional piece that's been very attractive to some of our clients, where they allow you to require that the person who's requesting the DSR print off a affidavit that they sign under penalty of perjury confirming their identity. And this has been very attractive to some of our clients who are really worried about a breach for a wrongful DSR. Right. The other thing that the regulations help with is providing some guidelines around how to use what people in the security space call knowledge-based authentication. The regulations create two tiers of personal information. They call this kind of ordinary personal information or ordinary requests for, for uh, under CCPA versus more sensitive information or more sensitive requests. And these typically are divided by whether you're asking for specific pieces of information or not. Generally, two pieces of information are going to be sufficient. But in cases where you have more sensitive data or a higher risk type of request, they say that the regulations contemplate using three versions. I think one of the reasons that businesses are not looking at third-party verification services as much as they might otherwise is that these cost money on a per-search basis and CCPA doesn't let you pass those costs on to consumers. And that's really not been attractive to most of our clients. 
I think an additional piece to add here in terms of verification is that deletion requests now require that you must confirm you want to delete. You can't just file the request and have yourself deleted. Something has to pop up. Someone has to contact you later in the process, and you have to confirm that deletion is something you're looking for. And that'll play into the workflow of configuration of any tool, correct? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. The regulations have created essentially a confirmation requirement that has to go out within either 10 or 15 days, depending on the type of request it is. It looks like these can be automated, provided that the types of processing that the business does is fairly standardized across all of its consumers. So in the last couple minutes, can we talk a little bit about the special rules regarding minors and non-discrimination? Yeah, so with respect to non-discrimination, what some of the CCPA amendments have done is really made it clear that the value we're talking about is the value of the data to the business when it comes to treating people differently based on whether or not they've allowed you to sell their personal information. The regulations have further clarified that somewhat by listing a number of specific ways of conducting that valuation that are acceptable and then providing kind of a catch-all that says, you know, you can use other methods as long as they, you do so in good faith. It hasn't changed very much from in terms of what we've been advising clients so far, but it does make it a lot clearer, I think, in the letter of the law. For businesses that don't necessarily have the clearest picture of how they can determine the value of that data, providing specific options to them can be very helpful. As far as children are concerned, or minors, fundamentally, really what we're talking about are people under 16 rather than under 13, as we would have under federal children's privacy law. All right. So any final thoughts for our listeners in terms of just to summarize everything else that we've talked about today? The most important thing to keep in mind is that when you are designing the experience that a consumer is going to go through when it comes to how their data are being collected and used and being able to exercise their rights, transparency and accountability are really important under CCPA. These regulations have just made that more so. Just as Jim said, communicate with the person requesting your DSR regularly, make it clear that it's being worked on, that you're making progress, and here's and explain what is left to do. Additionally, based upon the European experience with the launch of GDPR, I would advise a lot of our clients to be ready for an initial wave on January 1st. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys, for coming in today to talk about this. Our future podcast will continue to focus on CCPA. We're trying to generate as much content as we can right away because things seem to be changing so frequently. If you enjoyed this content, I would encourage you to listen to previous episodes that we've recorded related to cookie management in CCPA, effective practices around data subject requests, and another podcast that was just general background on the law itself. Finally, I'd like to thank you for listening to our Advice Worth Keeping podcast series. Should you wish to discuss any of these topics further, please contact me at ssstein at kpmg.com, SSS. T-E-I-N at kpmg.com. Jim Lai and Nick Schmidt, can't thank you enough for your contribution to the series and we'll talk to you all soon.